my goal at the onset was to, I was committed to working out five days a week. And it's yeah. been about three. I've been really impressed with the times that you have shared where it's been hard to like get the workout in and how you've still made it work. You mm -hmm. keep figuring out like, okay, plan A didn't work, so what's gonna be the next best option? Mm -hmm. So I've been really impressed with your perseverance through that. Well, that's frustrating. For time number two today, a workout derailed. Forgot my spin shoes at the club. Guess I'll go home and work out by the lake. Had fun tonight. Where did we go, Owen? We went all the way around the lake. Way to go. So, man, how fit are you? The first night we worked out and we did all those lunges and I'm like, okay, I should wake up tomorrow morning and discover a new muscle in my leg. <laughs> and it wasn't there. Yeah. Great job. I just wish working out was like, you worked out and then like the next day you saw the fruit of your efforts. Like, okay, I'm starting to read the Bible and I wanna see like the fruits of my efforts. I wanna pray and see that God's working in my life. So I think he's just saying like, keep the faith, keep going. Even if you don't see the fruit of your efforts the next day. You know, you have to persevere. <laughs> Mom cheeks. <laughs> well, good morning, Wooddale Church. So grateful to have you with us. We are wrapping up our Get Fit series. And since this is the final message, we thought it'd be really fun for you to hear directly from some of the people who have been going through the training this summer. So on the stage, some of the people that we've been watching. And uh, so we wanna hear who you are and how long you've been at Wooddale. Uh, Yo, let's, let's start with you. Uh, good morning, my name is Yolanda Hunter. I've been at Wooddale Church for about 16 years. Fantastic, that's great. My name is Jossie Schirkenbach and I've been at Wooddale forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Shelly Schirkenbach and I've been here over 20 years. Very good. Let's give them a hand. Welcome them here to Wooddale Church. All right, Shelly, I want to start with you. Uh, just uh, what, what was this experience like and what happened physically as you went throughout this Get Fit uh, experience? All right. Well, soreness. Um, I was always the one in back of any um, exercise class. And the first day that Yo put me in front of the mirror about that far and said, do crunches. And I went, what's a crunch? <laughs> um, and um, I've just known that God, he gave me a body that should be strong. And he also gave me a chance, a second chance to change the generational diabetes mm -hmm. um, that took my father at an early age. And so I said, I got to change. Yeah, that's incredible. Jossie, for you, you did this with your mom, which is kind of this really neat experience. Uh, what was it like for you to, to be, be here with mom and then specifically kind of what physically what happened with you this summer? <laughs> I love doing this with my mom. I think she was a great accountability partner. It was fun to motivate her because that would motivate me. Um, Did I have a choice? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yo, the first time we ever met was like, you guys cannot pick up eight pound weights, which is like everything I gravitate towards in a workout class, because they're just nice, middle of the road. And yo, it was like, no. So she made me push myself. She made me become stronger. She made me realize um, just how strong I can be mm -hmm. if I just try. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. And you, know, you had the privilege of training both of them. Uh, for you as a trainer, what was that experience like having a mother-daughter combo? Well, I mean, it was great having a mother-daughter combo. I just, I loved how Jossie was really encouraging um, to her mom because my, my love language is, is words of encouragement. So it's just really sweet to see that. Um, but two different people, two very different goals. Um, Jossie's was to get stronger and yours was to, to lose a little bit. And so training them at the same time and trying to figure out, okay, I need to give Jossie, you know, a 15 pound kettlebell and then, you know, give Shelly five, <laughs> you know, what, what, you know, so, so that was really challenging. I love the challenge. We did do a couple of, of training sessions, just one-on-one, -on -one, but yeah, that was, it was fun. Yeah. I like a challenge. And uh, Yolanda, as a trainer, you also, though, kind of were trained this summer in terms of reading through the book of James, which was part of this whole experience. Um, what was that like for you specifically? What, what did God reveal to you through, through the book of James this summer? Well, one thing I noted is that when you really get serious about getting into God's word, he's really faithful to bring up like real life things where you get to practice. Um, I thought one of the things that was important uh, for Shelly and, and Jossie was just to understand how much I cared and I was going to be sensitive to, to their process. So being in a position of being the coach or the, the trainer, there's strong accountability there. And so I love all things fitnessy and I, I get excited about that. But one thing I don't get excited about is swimming. So during this process, I signed myself up for a triathlon. And uh, yesterday I did my first triathlon and I did the long swim, but yeah. I was, you guys, yeah, that's awesome. it, that's was, great. That's great. it was absolutely terrifying to understand, like I have to swim all the way, like around this lake, it was, mm -hmm. I was shaking, but I found some, you know, some encouragement and some people, they actually had someone swim alongside me the whole time. So, you know, it, it just helped me really relate to, Welcome to just. Welcome to our world. <laughs> <laughs> It helped me be more relatable yeah, to what they're wonderful. experiencing. Joshua, how about you? Uh, what, what did God teach you through the book of James this summer? James really talks about um, practicing what you preach and being a Christian. Um, first, just like a physical side, people at work would say, well, you're already fit. But I wasn't doing anything about my fitness level. It was just because I am younger. And... Mm. So I was like, well, what if I just really try? What if I put that effort in? And I think the same is with my faith. Like James says, you're not going to get anywhere by just sitting in a pew every Sunday. That's not, that doesn't mean you're a Christian. So signing up for being a volunteer and signing up to be part of a life group is something I just did um, in this sermon series because I felt I was convicted about it with James. Yeah, that's, that's encouraging. Shelley, how about you? What did God reveal to you this summer? Um, in chapter 5 of James, he, he talks a lot about prayer, and I'm, I am about, um, okay, I prayed, so now change it. And he brought to our attention the child that was thrown overboard, um, not overboard, but over the railing at the Mall of America is our neighbor up north. And... Um, our peninsula asked for prayer gathering on the 4th of July night at 9 o'clock. And our entire church was asked to pray for the little boy, um, as well as our peninsula. And we had believers and non-believers come to this prayer gathering, and we prayed for him um, in recovery. And at that time, 
it was going three steps backwards. And we just could not understand why God was putting him through this. And at the same time, at 9 o'clock, which was 10 o'clock in New York, a church that is related to the little boy was also praying with us on the lake. So it just, there is the prayer community that I knew God had. Yeah. And praise the Lord, he was at the cabin this weekend. Oh, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. All right, Yolanda, I'm going to give you the final word as our coach. If somebody's sitting here thinking, you know what, I need to take a step of fitness, what do you have to say to them? Take that step, right? You yeah. got to start. You got to start. Um, Go. Right? You, you know, you, you have to start. I think about that swim. That was, that was huge for me. But knowing that someone, when you get into a rhythm, mm -hmm. if you know anything about swimming, I was only breathing on my right. So figuring out, I just need you to swim on my right to keep me straight. Mm -hmm. Finding someone that's going to, you know, kind of in a sense swim on your right, uh, someone that's knowledgeable, someone that's encouraging, friendly, that, you know, knows what they're doing. And they're, they're, there's always so many people that are there to walk alongside you and so much encouragement. That's good. If you just let your needs be known, like, hey, this is what I need. I just... I need a push. I need a workout partner. Yeah, that's and right. And that's, you know, and we're in this together. That's wonderful. Can you just say thank you for these folks going through this experience and sharing so much with us? Thanks, guys. For sure. Well, we're going to begin the, uh, the, the fifth and the final message of this series. And uh, so wonderful to just uh, have these folks being so willing to share their experiences. It's kind of intimidating to work out. It's really intimidating to work out when there's a camera in your face, knowing that it's going to be broadcast in front of your whole church. So, uh, so grateful for them to do that. As we come to chapter five of James, we are going to come into a question that I think almost every person who tries to get fit physically at some point will ask this question. And it's a question that I know anyone who has ever run or trained for a marathon asks. And that question is, is it worth it? For me, that question came at mile 17 of my first marathon, which is really early to be asking that question in a marathon. But you know, it's a question that we ask spiritually as well. Is it worth it? Maybe you're sitting all alone in the lunchroom at your school cafeteria yet again because your friends have decided they don't want to hang out with you because they think it's weird that you followed Jesus. And you wonder, is it worth it? Or when you've been skipped over for another promotion, or maybe you've even lost your job because you weren't willing to go through some of the unethical behavior within your company and you wonder, is it really worth it? Or maybe it's an area of sin or a habit in your life and you just can't seem to kick it and you wonder, is it worth it? Maybe it's a marriage and you feel like the love between you and your spouse has grown cold and you're wondering, is it worth it? And James answers that question in James chapter 5. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn open to James 5, starting in verse 7. And if you want to use one of the blue Bibles we provide for you, it's on page 1844. As you're turning there, James is responding to this question that's come up to his readers, those who are going to receive this letter, because they were facing some hardship in their life and asking the question, is it worth it? They were facing social rejection because of their acceptance of Jesus. Their, many of their family members have disowned them. They were facing economic hardship. Many of these early believers had fled the city of Jerusalem because of the persecution. 
and they were now economically facing hardship as refugees. And many of them were facing physical hardship because they were being imprisoned and beaten and even killed because of their faith. And to them and to us, James writes these words. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently, there's that word again, waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient, now that's a third time, and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And I think it's interesting that in the midst of hardship, James uses the word patience for these people. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through a difficult time, I want to hear some different words than be patient. I want to hear words like, it's almost over, or words like, you've got this, or it's not going to be as hard as you think. But that's not what James writes. He says, be patient. In the original Greek, that word patience, we could translate that word uh, probably more accurately to say, be long-suffering. You've heard of people saying uh, that they have a short fuse. James is saying, have a long fuse in the midst of your hardship. Be long-suffering. And the question we want to ask James is, why? Why do we need to be long-suffering in the midst of hardship that we encounter in our life? And James is going to give to us at least four very practical things about patience that we can understand and put into practice when we're facing hardship in our own life. And so if you're facing a season of hardship or knowing someone who is, this is going to be incredibly practical as we see what James has to say to us. The first thing that James is teaching us about patience is that patience is a perspective. Throughout that passage of scripture we just looked at, two times James mentions that the Lord's coming is near, and he's referring to the return of Jesus. And you might say, James, it's been 2,000 years. I think we define nearness different. But James isn't talking about the nearness of Christ in terms of chronological time. And when the New Testament authors all write about Jesus' return coming soon, what they don't mean is just that it's right around the corner. Now, it could be. In fact, it could be today. And that was true in James's day, that's true in our day, and that may be true for thousands of more years. But when they mean the return of Jesus is near, what they're saying is it is the next event to occur in salvation history, in God's plan of salvation. See, so much of the Old Testament pointed to the coming of a Messiah, of a Savior that was going to come and free us from the snares of sin and death, give us a new relationship with God, and that was Jesus. And many of those prophecies were fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. But he gave us a promise that he would come back again and complete the work of new creation. And when Jesus comes back, that's like the finish line for our faith. And so James is saying to us, stay focused on the finish. I was watching a cross-country race earlier this week. It was a boys' junior varsity race for a high school. And toward the end of the race, I saw these two runners who were walking the last mile of the course. And as they came around the final turn, they saw off in the distance the finish line with all the flags and the clock and the whole crowd kind of standing there cheering at the finish line. And when they saw the finish, everything changed. These guys started off in a dead sprint toward that finish. And I thought, there it is. When we focus on the finish, it changes how we view the circumstances and the situations that we are in. 
And James is saying, stay focused on the finish. Here's the reality. Whether Jesus comes back soon, like in terms of like this couple weeks or years, or whether you and I are taken to go be with him, you and I are going to be with Jesus probably in just a matter of decades for most of us. And when you think about it in those terms, it causes us to reframe the hardship that we're experiencing right now. Because we realize soon and very soon, we're gonna be with Jesus. And the second thing that James teaches us is that patience is a process. And to give us this teaching, James gives us the illustration of a farmer. He says, you know, just like a farmer goes and they plant the seed, the farmer has to wait for the process to unfold. If you were watching a farmer plant seed, if, if they were to put seed into a ground and then after a week not see any progress and get frustrated and go dig that seed up and go try again, you'd say, don't do that. That's foolish. Because this whole growing thing has to take its process. And a farmer can do absolutely nothing to help encourage the rains to come. That's all have to be provided by God. And it just takes time for that seed to begin to start to grow. And James is saying, so it is with the hardship that you're facing in your life. It is a process. And we have to allow the process to unfold. And you might say, well, you know, Kyle, that's, that, that's good. And that's good for us to know that it's a process. But you got to understand that the difficulty that I'm going through in my life right now is like way beyond that. I mean, it feels as if I'm being asked to grow a garden in the middle of the desert because it just seems like the land is dry and crusty and I don't think rain is maybe ever gonna come. And I understand that feeling. And there are seasons that almost all of us will go through that will be like that in our life. And when we're in that season or if you're in that season now, it's almost as like you're, you're trying to bring life out of Death Valley. Death Valley is one of the harshest conditions on our planet. It's almost impossible for anything to grow in Death Valley. That's why it's called Death Valley. It only gets about two inches of rain a year. And yet, did you know there's wildflowers that grow in Death Valley? Now, they don't come up every year because the process has to be just perfect. But there are wildflowers that hide their seed underneath that soil and they will lay dormant for years and years on end. But when the temperature is just right, and there's been just a little bit but enough rain, there's an event that is called a super bloom in Death Valley, and it looks like this. And out of that dry, parched land, new life springs to the surface. And in the midst of our hardship, if we are patient enough God may bring about a super bloom in our life. And you might say, that's, that's encouraging, that's inspiring, but, but what do I do in the meantime? All right, what do I do when the flowers haven't come up and we're still just waiting? And that's what I love about James. James is so practical. He tells us what to do in that season when we're waiting for God to bring about that Bloom, And he tells us this by learning the fourth thing about patience, and that is that patience isn't passivity. 
See, oftentimes I think we can view patience as like we just don't do anything. We sit around and just wait. And there is a waiting component to patience, but there is an active part of it. We need to be active in our patience. And to teach us that, James tells us this in verse 10. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. When he's speaking about the prophets, many of them are the Old Testament prophets, and we know many of their stories. These are people to whom God spoke specifically, and he gave them a word that they were to then turn and give to other people. Now, the challenge for them was that the people that they were supposed to speak to oftentimes did not want to hear what God had to say. And and think about this with me. Here are people, these prophets, who are doing the exact detailed will of God for their life. And they're following his will exactly. And they are suffering because of it. The reality is, if you and I do the will of God, we may suffer as a result of that. It may bring some hardship into our life. But the prophets were faithful anyway. That's the active part of patience. Even when it's difficult, even when suffering results, they're still committed to doing the word of God and following his will for their life. That is true for them, and that should be true for us. That's the active part of us being patient in the midst of our hardship. But then James gives to us even some more specific encouragement in verse 11. He says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I think James is an interesting case study for patience. Because if you were to list all the biblical characters and say, who is the most patient in the midst of hardship? I don't know if Job would be on the list right away. If you don't know the story of Job, here it is. It's found in the Old Testament. There's a book by his name. And Job was a man who faithfully followed God. And God blessed him. He was incredibly successful throughout his life. And then one day in the cosmos, probably unbeknownst to Job, Satan and God were having a conversation. And Job came up. And Satan said to God, you know, the only reason that he follows you is because you've given him all of this stuff. If you take away his blessing, he'll turn and curse you. And God says, that's not true. And to prove it, he allows Satan to bring hardship into Job's life. And almost immediately, Job's whole situation changes. Economically, he becomes basically bankrupt. His business falls apart. His children die in a freak accident. And physically, he comes down with all sorts of ailments, almost to the point where he he is physically unrecognizable. Now, Job has some friends that are kind of watching all of this unfold. And Job's friends have a very simplistic view of God. They believe that when you do good things, God rewards you by letting good things happen in your life. And when you do bad things, God punishes you by bringing suffering into your life. They're seeing what's going on with Job, and so they're saying, well, that must mean that Job did something to deserve this suffering. And in order to comfort Job in his suffering, they show up at his house and try to convince him that he did something to deserve this. By the way, if you have a friend who is suffering, don't do this. It's not helpful. And it wasn't helpful for Job. And so here, throughout Job, you you read these long poetic passages where Job is defending his innocence against his friends, but then what Job does is he begins to cry out to God. And he pours out his heart to God, and he doesn't hold anything back. 
He says, God, I don't understand what's going on. God, can you explain this? God, can, can you show me what you're doing? God, this, this feels unjust. God, this doesn't feel fair. God, when are you going to do something? God, when are you going to respond? And you can read that and say, is this patience? And the answer is yes. Because see, Job never took matters into his own hands. Job never said, forget it, God, I'm done with you. I'll do this my way. I'll try to solve it myself. He didn't. He recognized that God was the one who needed to act, and he was patient on God, but he didn't hold back his feelings to God. And I think the reason that James is giving us this story and this example is because so oftentimes when we face hardship, we try to either solve it on our own and we're not patient for God to move, or we're not fully honest with God about how, it's exper- how we're experiencing that hardship. And when we are, when we just pour out our complaint directly to him, God reveals his mercy and his compassion to us in incredible ways. And that's what God finally brings about in the life of Job. Yes, Job was restored to a lot of the blessings that he had, but more importantly, Job got to see God in a whole new way. And that's what God will do if we're patient in the midst of our hardship. And that's the fourth thing that James is teaching us about patience, is that patience produces hope. And those aren't just my words, but the words of the Apostle Paul who writes this in Romans 5. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. And you say, Paul, why would we glory in our suffering? And he says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. That suffering leads to hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And in that way, you and I have something that Job never had, and that's the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And if we are patient in the midst of our hardship, God will bring about hope in our lives and through that situation. But here's the hard teaching of this. Sometimes God will bring about hope not just for us, but for many other people. And that he'll allow the hardships that have come into our life so that more people can experience hope. And that reminds me of my friend Kathy. Kathy attended a smaller church for many years. It was a great church. Uh, People there loved God, and she was well-connected. But then that church fell on hard times, like can happen with churches. And that church started focusing more on their own internal things and their fighting about things that really probably didn't matter that much. People started to not care as much about the community and staff started to come and to go. And in the midst of that hardship, Kathy did what Job did. She started to cry out to God. And Kathy tells me these stories of how after services on Sunday, she would go and sit out back behind the church on the back step, and she would pour her heart out to God, crying real tears and begging God that he would bring new life to this church. This went on for a while, and then in 1998, she felt like she was being called away, which was a very painful and a hard part of that story. And she went to another church across town, and then nine years went by. And in 2007, the news came that that church that she had cried over and prayed for for so long was going to be closing. And there were a few group of people there at the church that decided that 
As the church was closing, they were going to call another church across town to see if they could do something with the building. Some will say that that is when Colony Park Baptist Church died. But I like to tell you that's when Colony Park was reborn. Because the church that they called was the same church that Kathy had transferred over to, and that church was Wooddale Church. And in 2008, a year later, we reopened that church as our Edina campus. And a few years ago, I had the privilege of walking back into that place with Kathy, my friend, who had prayed for so long for that church, for new life to come. And as she is tripping over the kids, trying to walk up the stairs, and seeing all of the community that's happening at our Idana campus, tears welled up in her eyes, and she looked over at me, and she said, Kyle, God has answered my prayer. And he's using that season of hardship to now bring about hope for so many more people. And I can tell you another story of a faithful follower of Jesus who has a production company. And he had this wonderful show that was successful for for 20 years or more. And the whole thrust of the show was a desire to bring hope and laughter to a very difficult neighborhood in Minneapolis. And then like many things, that show ran its course And it fell on some difficult times and through a season of prayer and discernment and crying out to God in the midst of that hardship for what do I do next, he felt that God was leading him to give up the lease at the Music Box Theater. And he had no way of knowing that almost the same month that he decided to vacate the lease was the same month that God was calling Wooddale Church to find a place to meet in the Loring Park neighborhood of Minneapolis. And since we have taken over at the Music Box Theater and launched our Loring Park campus, there have been 50 people who have been baptized in the name of Jesus at that place. And hope is going out into that neighborhood. And in the midst of hardship, God's bringing more hope. Or I could tell you about the business owners who had this idea, this crazy dream because they loved Jesus and they thought college students at the University of Minnesota should as well, that the best way to do this was to launch a coffee shop at the U of M. And it was a great idea and the right vision, but they just didn't have the resources or the experience and they tried so hard and after a few years, it just seemed like it wasn't coming together. And through a season of prayer and a lot of hardship, They felt God was leading them to let somebody else give this a go and how they had no idea. They had no idea that God was leading Wooddale Church to think about running a coffee shop ministry. And just on Friday, we launched Seven Corners Coffee, the University of Minnesota. And folks, out of hardship, God is continuing to bring a hope to the students at the University of Minnesota. And, and here's what's so encouraging. I was, just, I was down there this week for the open, and I was talking to Ben, our director of coffee. He shared with me that they've already had a chance to share the hope of the gospel with one of the students who came up to him and said, hey, um, why, like, what inspired you guys to take over this place? And he used that as an opportunity to share with her about the hope of Jesus. And he said, what do you think about that? And she said, you know, I'm Muslim, but I think that's really interesting. And I can't wait to see how that conversation and many others continue to evolve down there at Seven Corners. Folks, if you want proof or evidence that God brings hope out of the midst of hardship, go visit our Edina campus, go sit in the seats at Loring Park, or go buy a latte at Seven Corners because God uses our hardship to bring about hope if we're patient in the middle of that process. But here's the thing. 
Oftentimes when we face hardship, I've noticed that we, you and me, have a tendency to back away from things. We have a tendency to kind of step back. And James is saying, don't do that. In the midst of your hardship, be patient, but you also need to stand firm. And so I want to get just really practical with us here for just a few minutes and talk with you about how can you stand firm in some things that we're doing right here at Wooddale Church. Because as you've just heard from those stories, we really believe that God is calling us to be a center or centers at our campuses, centers of hope. And we want that hope to be certainly for people who aren't yet here, out in our community, but we also want these centers of hope to be for you too. And so in the midst of your hardship, I wanna encourage you to take a step in. And to encourage you to do that, I, I want actually for you to take out one of these connection cards. This is in the pew back in front of you, and I, I seriously, I want everyone to pull one of these out and just kind of hold on to it or set it in your lap for just a moment. And the reason I want you to do this is these connection cards are filled with some next step opportunities that you can take in a very practical way to help step into a community of hope. And when you're facing hardship, this is incredibly important for you to be doing. Now, here at the church, we talk about how people can grow spiritually, and, and we use four different words for it. And if you've been around here for Wooddale for a while, you, you may have heard these words, or if you're newer to this, then, then you hear it for the first time. But we say, you know, in order to grow spiritually, each of us need to connect, we need to grow, we need to serve, and we need to share what God is doing. And over the next several weeks, there are opportunities for you right here at the church to do each one of those things. And so I asked the team if we could receive our offering after the message this weekend, and the reason is so that you would have a moment to take that connection card out and to consider what your next step might be, especially, folks, especially if you are going through a season of hardship. The first step of connecting is just a great way to connect is simply to be here. In fact, next weekend, we're kicking off, kicking off a brand new series called God Speak, and it's all about how to hear the voice of God. And if you want to connect with God in deeper ways, which all of us want to connect with God in deeper ways, then we need to be here next weekend as we learn how we can hear his voice. It's going to be a very important series for each of us to connect with God. But we also have an opportunity to connect with one another. And if you're newer to the church, or maybe you've been coming for a while, but you've just kind of been sliding in and sliding out, and you've never really taken a step to get connected, then I, I want to encourage you, it may be a spiritual step for you just to fill this card out. And in a moment, drop it in the plate. And, and when you do, our team will follow up with you and just say, hey, here's some opportunities, if, if you're new, newer here at the church, for you to get connected. Uh, or there's an opportunity coming up on Sunday, September the 22nd. It's called our new guest reception. And it's for anybody that's been new any time in the last year. And it's free lunch and a chance to meet with me and Dale and some of our other pastors. And you get a chance to hear about how you can get connected here at the church. And if you haven't yet gotten connected, that's a big step for you. And this morning, I would encourage you, go ahead and just write your name on that connection card and just write new guest reception on it. And we'll be in touch about how you can be part of that opportunity to get connected. But if you're already plugged in here at the church, Maybe your next step is to grow, and you can grow through joining a life group. It's a group of eight to 12 people that gather together and study God's word together, encourage each other. That might be your next step this fall, is to join and commit to being part of a group so you don't go through your hardship alone. Or one of the best ways to stay spiritually fit in the midst of our hardship is to serve others. And there's an opportunity for you to check that box about volunteering or serving. There's so many different ways you can do that here at the church. 
And here's my commitment to you. If you check that box, our team is committed to following up with you this week to let you know about all the different ways that you can get plugged in and serve putting your faith into action right here at the church. Or as you leave service today out in our common space, there's some tables about a very important ministry we have called Stephen Ministry. That's a ministry where we walk alongside people providing hope to them in the midst of the hardships of life. And if that's something that you wanna be part of, maybe you have a story about how God has worked in your own hardship or maybe that story is still unfolding. Maybe consider being a Stephen minister to come alongside others who are walking through a difficult time. And then all of us have an opportunity to share with other people about what God is doing. And folks, I know these steps are so practical and very specific, but the reason I wanna encourage us to do this is because all throughout this series, James has been telling us not just to talk about it, but to actually do it when it comes to our faith. And so often, we just need to know what next step can we take And that little connection card may be an opportunity for you to take a big next step. Here's the thing about hardship. When we go through hardship and we experience hardship, it brings us closer to Jesus. Because Jesus endured incredible hardship so that you and I would have hope. And as we bring this series and this message to a close, I want to read to you just a few verses from Hebrews chapter 12. Because it talks about the hardship that Jesus endured. And as we're going through hardship, you need to recognize that Jesus knows what you're experiencing. Hear those words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and James has done a great job of sharing with us many of those witnesses today, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Folks, in the midst of your hardship, not only does that hardship bring you closer to Jesus because he experienced hardship, here's the promise. Jesus goes through that experience with you. It'll make you more like him, but it'll draw you closer to him. And when that happens, you will have a super bloom of hope in your life. Father God, none of us enjoy hardship. Lord, in fact, many of us would do many things to avoid hardship in our life. But God, you allow it to come. And Father, you allow it to come in your wisdom because God, you do something in the midst of hardship that is for our good. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Lord, who may be experiencing incredible hardship. Father, may they take these words of James serious. May they be patient and wait for you. And God, will you bring about in their life what you will? And Lord, would you show them how you are using that hardship to bring hope to many, many others. But Father, may you also Bring hope in them 
And Father, now as we turn to receive this offering, Father, it is you that we have come to worship and to celebrate. Father, we're grateful for the hope you have given to us. And Lord, I pray that as this song plays and the plates pass, Father, that we would respond to the call that you have on our life to take a step, even in the midst of our hardship. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.